Um, we're going to continue in, in Romans 12 this week, and we're going to kind of finish the, the chapter, and it, it ends pretty heavy. So it's, it's going to be appropriately heavy kind of a, a message, and I think this week really was that, I think, for me. As, as someone who was a former teacher, right, mm-hmm. as someone who has a, a daughter of the age of 10 and in the fourth grade, um, man, this, this week was tough. Um, yes. And I think all of us, in some degree or not, we're kind of gripped with what, what I would call atrocities, right, of, of the mass shooting in, in Texas. And when we witness such evil, uh, I think all Americans, uh, regardless of faith, are kind of struck with, with two things. I think one is our mortality. We realize that, yeah, there's an end. Um, and the second one, I think, is our security. We lose our sense of security, right? And I think that a lot of our solutions to problems come out of that, right? If, if I can find the right guilty person, if I can fix this or that or that or that, then I will regain my security again. But what we do know, and, and we've talked about it, is in this case, you know, Evil was not restrained. It wasn't. For whatever reason, uh, it was allowed and lives were lost. In a a February 22nd, um, 2015 sermon, Pastor John MacArthur listed uh, four things uh, that God has put in place to restrain evil. He's put uh, personal conscience which every human does, right? We, ha- we have family was his second one. And the third one, he had civil authorities and laws as the three big ones. And then he, he ends with a fourth one, which is, is God himself, his spirit working amongst the church. These are things that restrain evil, keep it from happening. But we also know that restraining does not actually cure evil. It, it doesn't, but it does allow us to live in a greater peace while we seek to distribute the cure, which is the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Christ himself. And so I want to be clear today about what this message is about. Today, the passage that we're reading is not about restraining evil, which is a good thing. That actually begins to happen in Romans 13. And we will get there as a church to Romans 13. Instead, the passage today, we're going to look at what happens. How do we react as believers in Jesus Christ when evil happens to us? What do we do when we are faced with evil? When evil is on our doorstep, right? Or the doorstep of someone that we love. Maybe we're disrespected. Someone calls us a name. Someone bullies us. Someone lies. Someone cheats. Someone steals. Someone excludes you, ignores you, injures you, makes an unjust assumption or generalization about you, or what often happens in the closing household, someone plays with your toy. Thank you. You got that humor. Okay. The sad reality is that far too often we succumb to the temptation that happens when we're faced with evil. 
And that temptation is to respond in evil of like manner or sometimes unfortunately worse. Last week we were encouraged in Romans 12, 19, not to be, not to take revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. Our culture loves avengers, but we see that God is to be the ultimate avenger. So we're left with a question. As believers in Jesus Christ, when evil begins to happen to us, what's our response? Mm -hmm. And so we're going to be looking at Romans 12.20 and Romans 12.21 today, and we're going to do it a little bit differently. Um, Nashwan's going to take Romans 12.20 and give us some, some wisdom there, and then um, I'll come back and, and start talking about Romans 12.21. Thank you. We can to see in the Romans is very, very rich. We can to see many, many points Let's read Romans 12:20. On the country, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning goals on his head. Paul does not want me to divide their lives between a spiritual life and a normal life. Sometimes we excuse our bad behaviors when we have an enemy. But Christ calls us to love even our enemy. We can read that in Matthew 5:44. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Between a life with the believers and life with others, we should not be in two faces. We love believers and we hate people who are different from us. Rather, they must rush into their daily lives and their extensive relationship. In the light of love, there no, no bounds. Paul presented the believer relationship with this word. Illustrated. When I work in construction in Iraq, Sometimes the employer was asking me to go fast in order to get more jobs and make more money. Cutting corners and not doing the job as well as I should. But I was telling him that Christ called us to give others our best to make sure we demonstrate love in all of our work. In illustration, when I finished my degree from college, another man paid to tell my degree 
so that the cold began work while I went off to serve in the army. A friend encouraged me to have this man bitten, to scare him and make him give back what was stolen from me. But this is not correct. I needed to reach him as a friend and not an enemy, even though he had stolen from me. The second part, we must treat our enemy with compassion because that may cause him to be ashamed and then repent. In Iraq, putting goals on someone's head is not for punishment or pain, but to call someone to repentance. And that is what happened with the enemy. And in order to get rid of his harm, he had to be fed and given water. And so I would make him feel ashamed and ask for repentance and maybe become a friend of mine rather than an enemy. Love causes shame in order to live. Remember what Pastor Strader said last week, it takes two to fight. We take another illustrated. Imagine if I were a judge and my son was guilty of stealing $30,000. As a judge, I would have to stance him to jail for his crime until he could pay it all back. But then I would take off my robe as a judge and come to my son as a father and paid the $30,000. This is fully just. This is how God has treated us in Christ. We can read in John 3:16. For God so loved the word that he gave his one and only Son, that however believers in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We see in this verse love of God and justice. Humans had to pay the price of sin, which was death, and that was justice. But we see that because of his love of humans, God sent his son to take their place and pay the price of them by his death on the cross. And that is how we got
celebration and got right of punishment. Peter's first three, one and two, we can't read and they have a question in this. What does putting goals on someone's head look like? When we consider in these verses, we can to see that. Wives, in the same way, submit yourself to your own husbands so that if anyone them do not believe that word, they may be won over without word by the behaviors of their wives when they see the purity and reverences of your lives. This is what Christ has done for us and what we should do for others. Yeah, and after Paul um, finishes with his the specific examples here, he moves on to kind of this general statement to wrap up this passage uh, before transitioning into Romans 13. And so what he says is kind of summarizing the last few verses. If we read Romans 12, 21, it says this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, what he's saying is we can't stop all evil from happening to us. On this side of eternity, there's going to be evil that happens to us. But we can stop it from overcoming us. So while there may be evil, it doesn't have to overcome us. Because evil overcomes us when we allow it to dictate our reactions. When we allow it to take us outside of God's will. Pastor Strader again from last week said, Repaying evil with evil corrupts your own soul. And so when our transformation and renewal is put on hold so that we can act out on our worldly, fleshly passions, we have been conquered by evil. We see this ongoing battle in the Gospels. I, I saw three different situations where the disciples were about to be overcome by evil and Jesus stopped them. In John 18, 10, and 11, when people were about to arrest Jesus in evil, what did Peter do? He drew out his sword, right? It even struck a guy's ear. And junior hires celebrate. This is an incredible story in the Bible. But what did Jesus say? No, 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 no. No, healed the guy's ear. He said, this, this is the will of God to go through this suffering unjustly. Luke 9, 51 through 56, another favorite of, of my own and junior hires. I blame junior hires, but really it's my own favorite. James and John wanted to call fire down from heaven upon a city because they didn't respond to the gospel. It's like, Lord, let's just call down fire from heaven and burn this city up. And we're all like, yeah, this is a great idea. But Jesus says, no, this isn't what I came to do. Don't be overcome by evil. And then in Mark 8, 31 through 33, again, Peter, 
an example here, rebukes Jesus. Can you imagine the gumption to rebuke Jesus? He rebukes Jesus when Jesus prophesies his own death. This is going to be evil, Jesus. No, you shouldn't do this. And what does Jesus do? He rebukes back. No, 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 Peter, you're thinking humanly. This has to be done, right? This is my Father's will. And so maybe you feel like Peter or James and John, but Scripture says <laughs> we don't have to be overcome by evil. We have the power not to be overcome by evil. Listen to what Romans 6, 2 through 4 says. It says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we are in Christ, we have this new life that doesn't have to be overcome by evil. One of my favorite like coaching moments, I think, in, in Romans is, is chapter 8, verse 35 through 39, when Paul writes, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then listen to the evil. He says, shall trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then it, you would think, Oh, woe is me. We're about to be overcome by evil. But he says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor principalities, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We do not have to be overcome by evil. When evil doesn't overcome us, what we begin to experience is a greater closeness to God. I was talking with a dear sister just yesterday who many of us know has gone through incredible evil over the past two years. She said, I'm closer to God than I've ever been. What a joy in that. The second thing, when we don't become overcome by evil, we build a stronger faith. We begin to see how God works and acts even in those situations that are incredibly difficult. And third, we see our character refined. We see us change. And this is all through the passiveness of not being overcome by evil. But God doesn't stop with the passivity. He gives us something active to do when we are in the face of evil. So the second phrase he says is, but overcome evil with good. He doesn't say eradicate it. He says, overcome this evil that has happened to you with good. In the face of evil, actively seek good. And what's good? Well, God is good. We know that. Can I say that one more time and you guys do the Christian thing, right? God is good. And all the time. 
Yeah, exactly. So God is good. His will is good. It says that in Romans 12 too. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. What's not good is often our instincts in those moments. Because when evil's done to me, my instincts are rarely good. Right? Because commonly I want to fight back. I want a stinging word. Usually it's in the form of some sort of sarcasm. But God gives us his will. He, he states his will in Scripture. And so what I've done is I've, I've looked at five different things in Scripture that said directly, this is God's will. And I think we can apply it to these moments when evil happens to us. And then, because I like you guys so much, I threw in a sixth. So there's a bonus one. It's not in your bulletin. I'm sorry. What ended up happening is I thought about it on Thursday after the bulletins were formed. But consider it a bonus one because I like you guys. All right, so here they are. First one, pray for all people, even those responsible for evil. The first action we can take when evil is thrust upon us. Listen to 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. It says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. But what about the ones who did evil to us? It says, all people. It continues, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people, all people, to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. In the face of evil, when evil is done to us, we need to pray, and we need to ask God to fill this individual with his love. Bring them to a point of repentance that we might live in peaceful and quiet lives. The second thing is live the transformed life, which is totally in line with this whole chapter, which is strongly based on Romans 12, 1 and 2, where it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And what's the pattern of this world when we're faced with evil? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Or listen to 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, be made holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And so we are to be living this transformed life. But in order for us to live this transformed life, we need to build in spiritual strength. Because in those moments, we're often very, very weak, and we need Christ in us. And so we need to take the time to build that spiritual strength. And so I was, I was reading a, a book by John Mark Comer, and he mentions two things to help us overcome the flesh, which often wants to strike out when evil is upon us. The first one was fasting. And I'm like, oh, I don't like that. I like to eat. Right, But no, he says fasting, right? Because when I fast, not just to lose weight, but, but to gain spiritual just strength, 
I'm saying no to this hunger that my flesh has. I get hungry, right? And, and immediately I go, Lord God, my body is hungry. It wants food. But Lord, instead, fill me with spiritual food. Fill me up. And he does. And I become, become strong in spirit. I become strong in faith when I begin to fast in actual physical fasting. And I have done that over the last six weeks because it's been a really hard six weeks in the closing household. And the flesh is, is, is trying to rear its evil head, right? Because, because we're looking for a house, right? Because God has called us Toledo and we've been rejected like five times. And the one that we thought we were gonna end up with, they found some critters that we said, we're out. But it's like, God, you want us to go there. We know this. And all of these houses, which would be perfect for what you're calling us to, someone else is, has. And so this like bitterness is trying to go in there like, oh, I deserve this more than they do. I'm planning a church. They aren't planning a church. Well, I don't know if they are or aren't. But that's not the point. My heart wants to respond to this in a way that isn't godly. And so I started fasting. And it's been incredible to see just the peace that has come about that because my flesh doesn't act the way that it was before I was fasting. God has given spiritual strength through it. And then the second thing he says is confession, another spiritual strength builder we don't think of often. Confession. Coming to God and confessing some of our flesh. Lord, he just called me a name. And sometimes as adults, we don't like that either. I know that's a child thing, but it's, it's not, right? We all face that. It, he called me a name, and I want to call him one worse. Just being able to confess that to God and, and to be honest about where our hearts are in that moment and then allow him to build this in. And, and I would say not just confess that to God, but I would encourage us to confess that to other brothers and sisters in Christ. Trust me, they, they're, they go through the same thing, but they can join you in praying for you that you would have the strength not to carry out the evil that often comes when we face evil. Third thing, keep God's presence before you. This is, this is really big. When evil comes upon us, sometimes we feel like God is absent because we don't feel his presence. All we feel is the evil, but that's just not true. God is always with us. When we become a follower in Jesus Christ, he puts his spirit in us. So we know he's present, even in the face of evil. We need to practice this presence. Brother Lawrence, an author, um, wrote a book that's called The Practice of the Presence of God. And that's what we want to do. We want to be fully aware of God's presence in that situation. And when we do, we can carry out 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. He infuses us with a spirit so that we can rejoice always even when there's great evil happening to us, we're in this world. We can pray continually, even when evil times come. We can give thanks in all circumstances, even if it is during a period of suffering. And then it says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Practice the presence of God. Number four, be the light in your community. 
Be the light in your community. Listen to what 1 Peter 2.15 says. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So listen to these. Respect to everyone. This is being around people. Be around other believers. Be around the emperor so to speak. In other words, be a good citizen. Be light in our community. Sometimes when evil happens to us, we have this desire to just kind of shrink back into our own homes. And as an introvert myself, like my home is my solace. Like that's where I want to go, right? To refuel. But what does God say? No, God has infused light into us in the spirit in Jesus Christ. And he wants us to take that light out into our community, to be light among our neighbors, to be light in, in the programs that we have here in Wauseon in Fulton County, to not just stay back in our holes, but to live faithfully out in the presence of people. And so I encourage you to do that. Join a community program be with your neighbors. In fact, one of the first things that, that Neshwan and I want to do, and, and our team is doing a great job of putting this together, is create opportunities where we as believers can be with the Arab community. We just want to be with them, right? Because we want the light of Christ to shine through it. And it's going to do that because we have the light of Christ in us. And so we are starting with, on June 24th, um, uh, <laughs> a not very creative name, uh, Sorry, it's called Schools Over Celebration. But you know what that does? It tells exactly what's happening. That's what we're gonna do. School's over, so we're gonna celebrate it. And so we're inviting lots of Arab people to come and enjoy just a celebration. We're gonna cook kosher hot dogs and just say, here's some food. Yay, school's over. We just wanna be light. We just wanna be light in the community. They wanna see that there are Christians who love God and, and love them. But if we're always over there and they're always over there, they don't know that we love them. They don't know that. So we need to be in their presence. And we actually invite you guys to come and help us with that. We'd love some volunteers. I know that it's really, really, really hard to cook a perfect hot dog. That was a little sarcasm. All right, it's not that hard. I've heard some people have some really good ones. But anyway. We'd love some people to grill for us so that you can free us up to be able to have some of these spiritual conversations. But even as you're participating, leading a game or something like that, you're still being light. You're still going to get to know people's names. You're still going to get to hear people's stories. And then you can respond to them out of the love of Christ. But nothing's stopping us, I think, from doing that in our own communities as, as we go about even some of these holidays we can celebrate. Number five, embrace God's higher purpose in suffering. Embrace God's higher purpose in suffering. This is a hard one. I don't think we can have a chance on our own here, but listen to what 1 Peter 3, 13 through 18 says. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? And you'd think the natural answer would be no one. But he says this, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
And the direct context there is in that moment when you are doing good in the face of suffering. He says, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Do you hear what Nashwan was talking about, the coals over the head? For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. I think especially here in the United States, because we are so comfortable, we often make decisions based upon how much comfort or ease it's going to give us. But there are things that God accomplishes in suffering that he couldn't any other way. And I think the greatest example of that is Jesus. Without his suffering, we wouldn't have salvation. And we wouldn't have Jesus. And so there are some things that God does in suffering that he can't without it. Now, this doesn't mean that we go looking for it. So it's not like we're all of a sudden going to go out and try to suffer. That's not what God is asking us to do. But it also doesn't mean we make decisions solely for the sake of avoiding it. It's like, I know God has asked me to do this, but I, if I do that, I could be ridiculed. I know. Let's make our decision based on what God has called us to do and embrace God's higher purpose in suffering. All right, bonus time. All right, here's your bonus, okay? So six for the price of five, what a deal. The last one I think is, is almost too obvious and that's why I don't think I wrote it down, but when I've been studying like worldviews and stuff like that over the last four or five weeks, just trying to figure out the world right now because I don't understand it fully, one of the things I, I realized that in every single worldview, there's always a lack of this thing that, that we have in Christ. And that's forgiveness. We have this incredible, spiritual, just weapon that the rest of the world can't provide. No worldview has room for forgiveness in it. None. But Christ gives us this incredible weapon, the ability to forgive those who bring evil upon us to not count their wrongs against them. It's an incredible weapon, an incredible ability to overcome evil with good. And when we do this, the world begins to ask, what, how do you have this hope? And so we're gonna finish with um, an illustration from Nashwan's life about this forgiveness and the incredible weapon and power that we find in it. Yes. When I was captured and severely beaten in Iraq, it would have been easy to be angry and try 
to streak back which would have ended with my death. Instead, what did I do? I went to Jesus and asked for the strength to forgive. I don't have this power on my own. And when any of us has evil done to us, we don't have the power to do good. But Christ does. And he will give it to those who seek to do his will instead of their own. We're asking for that. We need that in the life. And he faithfully provides it when we ask and when we face. So we're going to close today, and I'm going to close with a prayer strongly based just on John 16, 33, which is really just, it was the right time. So um, it's actually the last verse that uh, the kids had to memorize on Wednesday this year. Um, And it says this, I I say this to you that you may have peace. And this is Jesus talking to the disciples right before, well, right as he's telling them, I'm going to go away. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to go away. And, And they're obviously upset by this. But then he says, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. But take hearts. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And we have Jesus. And we have Jesus. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the love that you have for us. And I thank you even more than that, that you give us your very self, the light of the world. You give us yourself in that. And you transform our hearts, Lord. And we ask, we pray, Lord, that you would fill us with that light when evil comes upon us. When everything within us wants to react with evil to the evil in front of us. Give us the power and the strength to be like you in those moments. Like you who faced an undeserved death, but went faithfully and joyously because you embraced God's will and suffering. So I thank you for what you have done in overcoming evil. Give us that power. Give us that strength that we may have a hope that no one else understands unless they have you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.